You're listening to the New Century Multiverse, the Cartographer's Handbook, Remastered. Section 5. The First Year. Private Henry Jackson, Fort McHenry, Baltimore, Maryland, March 15th, 1878. I don't know why they thought it was the niggers. They never did us any harm, and I didn't honestly see good cause why they would do any other. I just remember a lot of folks running around and shoving each other, hollering at the top of their voices. Lots of houses on fire. Lots of screaming. My friend Bessie and I were getting real tired of playing soldiers and savages around the woods and down by the Mississippi. We were starting to wonder what we'd do if we ever saw us a real one. We got real good at creeping round unnoticed, especially whenever the hollering started. Everybody was jumping at shadows and firing off shots, but if you knew the right places to hide, you always got a good view and the bullets never came anywhere near you. So it's the late evening. We think about heading home and we're watching this group of men march up the street, Judd McCade at the front. We was thinking, finally going to see us some savages running at them like we'd been told. But all they did was call in the Williams' house and start hammering on their doors. There's more shouting and hollering, and Mr. Williams wasn't letting them in. It was his house, after all. Bessie was wondering if they wanted Mr. Williams to join them and go fight savages. The more the merrier. I said, there's no way... Old Judd McCabe would fight with a black man by his side. Then suddenly, Mr. Williams is out the door and on the ground, and there's screaming going on. The men haul Mrs. Williams and Joshua, too, out into the front lawn. Mr. Williams gets pulled to his knees, and then in a trice, they're all lined up there. It got real quiet. We could hear Mrs. Williams crying and Mr. Williams talking in a low voice to Judd McCabe. Then there was a shot and Mrs. Williams just sort of fell down. I know now that she was dead and they shot her in the back. But back then I thought they'd crack her on the back of the head. I started getting up but Bessie held me back. Mr. Williams was calling out to Joshua to run. Then there was a second shot. Joshua was down on the ground, too. This was a boy we'd played at being smugglers with just the other week. I was livid. I couldn't tell if I was angrier or sadder. Mr. Williams was wailing by them. He just hunkered down next to his wife and kept crying no, over and over. Then the men shot him, again and again and again. All of them just emptied their guns onto the whole family. Men of our shameful little town then burnt the bodies and went away. Over the next week, all the other black families that hadn't run already got the same treatment. 
Bessie and I didn't know what to do or where to go because because if big proper man was acting like this then who the hell's gonna tell us straight and what's best to do? I still don't understand it. I don't think I want to. All I know is that now we're in uniform and folks will listen. Bessie and me tell the story to every single scout we meet. We hope it helps them not act like that. That's just plain loony. Sergeant Bo Travis, Fort Livingstone, Louisiana, September 1st, 1872. I struggle to think of a poorer application of men and military force than I'm seeing right now. Our enemy is dug into our towns and farms, running riot in our cities, slaughtering our families and livestock. The hastily assembled units of soldiers, including myself, have been dispatched to the various standing Civil War forts to establish strongholds. This is a medical emergency, an epidemic, and needs to be treated as such. Our leaders are instead regarding this threat as akin to an attack by savages. Savages, I reminded my first lieutenant, do not inspire those whom they dispatch with a tomahawk blow to the head to get back up again within hours and go hunting for other civilized folk with their own tomahawk. We should be penning in the affected areas, containing them, quarantining the infected, surrounding them with watchtowers and refusing passage to all. Livingstone is a coastal fort. As I write this, I'm looking at an expanse of bayou. What I do not expect to see in a day now is a battalion of naval werewolves swimming towards our position to lay siege to us in the manner of Yankee soldiers. I'm going to appeal to the rest of the men and suggest we start sending out patrols to sweep the nearby areas. I suspect the ones in charge of us are not sure what is to be done, and I can make better use of myself attempting to restore comprehension than playing into their fairy tale of preparation. If my suggestions are not met with accordance, think no less of me, Isabel. James Gregory, Manassas, Virginia, December 17th, 1876. I am unsure as to how I have come to be sitting here within the safety of city walls, and able to sleep relatively soundly. I made it out of the hell on earth that New York City became, but to my shame, I must live with the knowledge that this hell was partly of my making. For six years I operated as a harbour master, and on the night of February the 6th, 1873, after hearing particularly distressing reports of new outbreaks down south, I had settled into another long night of monitoring the passage of inbound and outbound ships. The Hudson was at its most foggy and treacherous that night, and we were discouraging the approach of what vessels we could communicate with. One ship, an anchorline cargo and passenger vessel named the Ishmalia, was approaching at speed 
and would not respond to our hailing. I was attempting to prevent a wreck, so the swift organisation of guiding lights I had rigged up was done with only the purest of intentions. There were some 130 or so souls aboard, travelling all the way from Glasgow. There were several days late and coming in fast. It was my intention to save as many as possible. The Ishmalia collided with the upper western dock, splintering wood and tearing metal. The sounds was deafening and abominable, likely awakening even the most accomplished of sleepers who lived close by the already noisy harbour. Its almighty frame continued its ingress upon our shores and tipped over at the starboard side, visibly spilling bodies as it went. Some went into the water, some clattered into the dock. My hand was to my face in horror at what I'd failed to prevent. I could scarcely breathe as the dockhands I had assembled drew in on the wreckage to possibly lend some aid to survivors. I knew the names of each and every one of these men. They were brave, strong, and despite their usually surly demeanour, possessing of the most generous of spirits. Not one of them deserved the treatment that transpired. The fallen bodies got up, moving with demonic lunges, the passengers and crew of the Ishmalia fell upon my team, biting and clawing like rabid animals. More bodies had flung themselves from what remained of the ship and they headed inland towards the city of Manhattan. None turned to look at me, or I would not be here writing this. As it turned out, there were seventeen human survivors holding the bridge. Twelve of them were children. Their infected mothers and fathers had promised that they would not stay aboard the ship long enough to be a danger once they hit port. At the time, it must have been given with utmost sincerity. Thus begun the sacking of New York City. The subsequent pandemic that precipitated the riots of 73 and the introduction of these creatures to the eastern coast. They were no longer confined to the southern states, and now America was held fast in an unholy pincer grip. Those fleeing from the south now found themselves heading directly into the jaws of this new infestation. If I do get to heaven, and I sincerely doubt that I will, I would like to ask God why he allowed this to happen. Even, depending on your view of his disposition, going to the trouble of orchestrating it himself? Is he testing our resolve to survive as people? Our ability to work together? Whatever his plan, my childlike view of him as a kindly benefactor has shifted somewhat. James Gregory was stabbed to death in his bunk three days after this account was given. You have been listening to Section 5 of the Cartographer's Handbook, Remastered, The First Year, written by Alexander Shaw. Thomas W. Arlington, performed by Alex Shaw. Henry Jackson, performed by Jacob Newburn. 
Bo Travis, performed by Matt Wardle, and James Gregory, performed by Mark Ord. Make Your Decision by Dan Philipson of Shockwave Sound. One of them, Tempting Secrets and Dreams Become Real, composed and performed by Kevin MacLeod of Incompetech.com. The New Century Multiverse is funded by Patreon. Our $15 patrons get sponsor credit every episode, so thank you to Joel Robinson, Benjamin Biddle, Abel Savard, Michael Hasco, Connor Kennedy, Brian Novak, Evan Jankowski, Sarah Montgomery, Dan Hepner, Johan Clayson, Tyler Long, Joe Gasiga, Greg Downing, Tim Rosinski, Christopher Wolfe, Kat Esman, Cassandra Newman, Timothy Green, Matthew A. Siebert, Joseph Gluck, Luke Hatfield, Nick Ord, Duran Barnett, Tom Painter, Finbar Nicole, Jameis Enright, Mark Lupsch, Dan Mayer, Joe Crow, Chris Finnick, Toby Jungius, Dave Hickman, Aaron Lecluse, Kieran Dashler, and Lorraine Cheshire.